Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Broadway Babies Podcast. I'm Noelle Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. Our guest today is the effervescent Mia Moravis. Welcome hello, to Broadway Mr. Babies. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Mia. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. What led you down the path to wanting to be a performer? Um, and how did that evolve from working as a musician to working as an actor to working in theater to working on recordings? Um, just tell us a little bit about about that. I know it's a lot to put in like a small section of time. My, my mom was a concert pianist and she was asked, we, we were um, overseas in Scotland um, and we were asked, she was asked to play and um, they needed an extra dancing fairy um, to run around Santa Claus, to dance around Santa Claus. And so my mother said, without checking with me, my daughter can do it. And, and they put me and that was the lead fairy. They, you know, the one that leads all the other kids out. And so she put me there and she's playing the piano when it comes time to go and run around Santa Claus, she's playing the piano and I know it's time to go, but I'm too scared. And she's playing the piano and she's looking, I can see her, you know, and she's looking at me. Come on, come on, you know? So finally, that another kid said, it's time to go and pushed me. And we went around and came back and the, I I'm, just was traumatized by it. But we were in Scotland <laughs> and that, that happened once. A couple of years went by and um, I was able to take Scottish Highland dancing lessons to dance. And I learned the Highland fling and the shing trues and the sword dance and everything like that. We went to a private uh, Catholic school called St. Munns, a definite proving ground when a Yankee kid gets there, you gotta be able to defend yourself. So my brother had to teach me how. And, um, and then the Miss Black, the nun who was in charge of, you know, gathering up these kids to learn these dances and everything said, you'd be good, you'd be good. But she said, but you leap too high, <laughs> she said. <laughs> When I, when I would do the sword dance in the island thing, she said my, I was trying to be too vertical. And she said, just do the steps, you know. And, um, and the first time I did the sword dance, I kicked the swords. It's two crossed swords, you know. Like you dance in and all around them with your toes crossing over one. And, you know, I kicked the swords into oblivion. <laughs> it was really awful. But I said, I have potential. So I got that my parents got me the little outfit, you know, with the little waistcoat and the frilly thing and the tartan and the socks. And my Scottish Highland dancing shoes are right there. Can you see them? Oh, yeah, look at that. So that's kind of what started it. By this time, we're back in the States. I got accepted up with people when I was 18, traveled with them for a whole year. That would be 1978. And, um, and then went to the National Shakespeare Company, and then a lovely college in New Hampshire, Keene State College said, we'll give you a degree and we'll give you credits for what you've already done. So I was able to get a college degree. The one thing I was old fashioned enough about was being afraid I wouldn't get a college degree, jumping all over the place. The hardest thing for me, I was there for a year and then I auditioned for NYU, Tisch School of the Arts, and I got in. 
But by that time, I was orphaned and I just didn't have any idea whatsoever um, how to go to college. They gave, they offered me financial aid, you know, of course wasn't enough. I just didn't have any resources to go. But now, and, but I would have gone for theater and now I'm here anyway. So <laughs> it's all good. I, I had a sense after I had done all of this and gotten this college degree that I needed to know some type of business. I didn't really feel that I was business savvy and I was you know, kind of on my own. So um, there weren't, you know, parents to fall back on, so to speak. And, and so I just said, well, I guess what I'm going to do is try to see if I can get a job at one of those big, big places. <laughs> so I went to the DC area and I got a job at Citicorp. So, and it was, <laughs> you know, it was the bottom of the, I was very, very confident, and they probably thought, she doesn't know what she's talking about, you know? <laughs> and, and, but, but I was confident enough to get a job, and I did, I did a good job, and I stayed with it and stayed with it and, you know, went up the ladder with it and everything like that. And then um, by the time it was like 1988, 89, I said, okay, I'm going to not, I don't really want to do this anymore. I had been very, very smart. I had a teeny-weeny car that I had to put my own uh, stereo and air conditioning in. Um, I had a teeny weeny house. Um, I did not, I was not extravagant at all because I, you know, I'd, I'd had times when I'd been a poor starving artist and having some money is better than no money. And I was there and everybody else had these big, huge houses with swimming pools. So when the more market went woo like this, um, and in 89, all those people with those kind of houses, you know, that you met in that business um, were selling water purification systems door to door. And I took eight months off to say, well, I know business now and it's time to do get back into entertainment. But what I had done a couple of years before that was I started recording my own stuff in the recording studio. And this is right before I became a voting member of the Grammys. I got this gig at a PBS station. And the way it happened, I did eight months off. Remember, I said, I want to get back to entertainment. I got to chill. Though. I got to get all this out of my head and regroup. And so I decided, well, you know, the mall's really fun <laughs> at Christmas time because it's so festive. So I will go work in that nice ladies store, the ladies clothing store. And so I met this young gal there, Elizabeth. And um, we just immediately hit it off. We'd have lunches together and everything like that. I was, I was older than she was, but it didn't matter. You know, we just, she was a college student and everything. And so she goes, yeah, you know, I've, I have this job and I work at a TV station and I'm going to quit them both because I got to go back to school. And I said, you work at a TV station? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh, what TV? She goes, it's a PBS station. And I said, really, but you're not going to go back there? And she goes, no. And I said, who is taking your place? Five <laughs> words. And she said, I know. And I said, do you think I could? And she said, let me ask. <laughs> she goes back to um, um, the wonderful young man. Will Farmer was his name. It was um, January 20th, 1990. I was 30 years old. And they, he said, 
you can have the job. I know you can do it. It pays $5 an hour. And I said, I'll take it. $5 an hour. And, um, and they said, you'll be back here in master control and you got to record all the shows that the air switchers put on the air and it's PBS station. So the first thing every morning was get Sesame street. Right. At 30. So it could air at three. And so there's all these satellite dishes you had to steer and all these buttons you had to push and you had to rig up all these, you know, machines. And they had the big three quarter inch tapes and beta tapes back then. And so, um, I said to Elizabeth, I have three days to train with you. Don't tell me why I'm pushing buttons. Just tell me how and literally what to push to do it right. And she did. And I did. And then, and then um, next thing you know, they were putting me on the air for the fun drives. They were putting me on the air to do sports casting with the production manager. And, um, and what I was doing was I had recorded my songs before, right before I left City Corp and all that stuff. Um, I started going to the studio to record songs I wrote, you know, but I'd get professional musicians to, you know, play them because I can, I can strum and I can tippy tippy and stuff like that on the drums. And so, and so then I, I just had this thing where I would say to the producers, Hey, pull the vocal, pull the lead vocals out too, and let me have a music track. So when I got to the PBS station, you know, I'm doing my job in master control and, um, this nice lady named Mary So where, uh, works at school services. And there was this man there um, who kept saying he had, he worked there. He was in one of the engineers in back. Nice guy. But, but he, Mary So would go to him because he'd say, yeah, I got music you can use on the air. I got music. And every time she went to him, um, he never, like back then it was cassettes. He never had it with him. And she had a client with her, um, a client of the station and she brought him back there and he didn't have anything. And she goes, there's this girl in master control, this new girl, and she has music. And so he came back and I said, hello, sir. And you know, she goes, do you have a cassette tape with you? And I said, I do. And I took it out of my purse and I, you know, here you go, you know, and they put it on the air. So I sign up with ASCAP, let them know, you know, I become a member of ASCAP. And um, my music is playing. Next thing you know, the one producer, Peter Marshall, is coming to me all the time to, um, to, do you have more music I can use? I need a theme song. So next thing you know, they're putting these shows where I wrote the theme songs up on the satellite and they're playing all over the country. And US, US, USIA too, and to the troops in Guam and things like that. Wow. And so I just kept, checking in with ASCAP and, you know, saying, what should I do? They said, well, you should keep track of when your stuff airs, but also we have this thing called the ASCAP plus royalty award, and you should definitely apply for that. And so for like 29 years now consecutively, I've been getting the ASCAP plus award. I kept taking whatever I could have and make and try to make it fit in other places. Yeah. And just something told me, don't go in there with a guitar and strum and sing yourself, honey, because you're not good enough. You know, something told me just hire people, you know, make, get people who are really good, <laughs> you know. So that's how that started. I, I have other, other line of life where I served my country post 9-11. And so I left the entertainment world and I was a special investigator 
for um, three years and I was homicide cold case review. That's where my internship was at DC police. And then I went on to federal investigations post 9-11 for national security. Wow. And I, I did my internship and when I served in a crime lab, you know, um, and they plucked three of us out of this crime lab in the DC area and they called us Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I was older than everybody. <laughs> but uh, I was like old enough to be their mama, mama, aunt. And, and I just, I have, I feel like <laughs> you never, you never, you never, you never stop that quest for justice. You never stop that, you know, and, but I think it's really important. I'm the type of person that if I spiral down, you know, I, I will have a hard time getting out of bed. So I have to stay bucked up so yeah. that we, we can all, you know, <sighs> together because if if um the bad forces in the world want us to cry and sit down mm -hmm. yeah they do they want us to sit down that's exactly and you're so sweet to let me say any of that thank you gals oh gosh <laughs> no what what prompted the decision to leave entertainment and and what prompted the decision to go into that field of work that's really really interesting well i i had um i had realized um in my uh early thirties, <laughs> that the one thing that I had ignored um, in life was my love for human biology. And I also had always had always for many things that I had seen and witnessed and everything, this sense of justice um, that, that victims needed to have a voice and that people were often just brushed aside and ignored. Now, remember, I was born in 1959, so you're coming up when people didn't talk about things, bad things that happened at home and things like that. I said, I just, I have to find a way to work to help, to help justice prevail, but in a way that's real and that will help. And so I wrote this script, which is now literally being made 25 years later into audio theater, I wrote this script about um, investigators, detectives finally finding a serial killer who was leaving a very particular uh, signature and the backstory of the main character. Um, he was going after a certain type of victim, victims in the backstory of the main character, <clears throat> excuse me, that there was abuse in, in the household and things when they were young. And so I kind of kept it really quiet for a long time, um, that, just that I wrote the script. And I wrote this script before Forensic Fever hit America, <laughs> you know, like on the TV, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and a friend, one of, one of the older actors that, are gonna, that, that is in it said, you mean like before Quincy was on? And I'm like, no, I was a, <laughs> I was a kid. I wow. was a teen when Quincy was on. Wow. It, it was after that. It was after Jeez. that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so... So then um, when it came, because it was a, a film script, I was told, do you want to direct it? I said, I don't want to direct it. And they said, do you want to produce it? I said, well, you know, that'll probably be inherent, but I really don't want to. Do you want to star in it? No. And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be the forensic evidence consultant. And they said, well, are you able to do that? And I said, not right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> so <laughs> some more time went by and I went to grad school. And, um, and I became a forensic evidence specialist, a certified crime scene technician, a CSI, 
I worked in the crime lab in Fairfax County, Virginia, which is the closest one to DC. And I did my internship um, in, in DC police, homicide cold case review. And, you know, I was older than everybody. So a lot of the younger kids, you know, the, um, the younger folks were really interested in the helicopter ride, you know, <laughs> and I was interested in the homicide cold case review. But everybody did a great job. There were only a dozen of us chosen out of a thousand applicants. And then I, um, and then, uh, like I say, the three of us um, left the crime lab um, and uh, went on to the, in a federal capacity with top secret clearance. And so all in all, I did that gig for three or four years. And then, um, and then I, I had to, I had to stop. Um, I had reached, <laughs> I had reached as much as I could handle doing, but I did break a really big case, um, which was good. And, um, and then I, re I retired and went back into um, entertainment and did a classical music festival for three seasons and then went back out on my own and everything. I met Tony Holinkovich, may he rest in peace, who did a lot of music, did a lot of music for John Walsh and America's Most Wanted and Man Hunt and those shows. And so somebody said, you know, one, one of the guys said, you ought to meet her, she could use a mentor. And then when I met him, he worked with me on a couple of things. These guys that introduced me said, you know what, you ought to sing in our band. <laughs> so I was in an all-male band and I was the lead singer and the band was called Daughter Judy. And we made our way around the DC area and periphery like Baltimore and stuff. Thing that I did musically that around you know 25 years ago as well was I had written these Celtic songs. I'd written a Celtic EP, and um, Loft Studios they produced my Celtic pieces, and for the longest time I did nothing with them. And then um, through one of the narrators of one of the Roadhouse books that I met through the Grammy groups, he introduced me Trevor Sewell. He introduced me to Barry Tomes, who owns Gotham Records in the UK, and and took them and said, I will do them. I will, I will, I will, I will release your EP. Wow. So that one was cool because it had a big full page ad and billboard and it was the, I had to be my own model. I was not expecting to be the one to be on the full page of billboard, but you do what you got to do. You do what you got to do, right? And another thing that I did after I left the classical music entity, um, a real dear friend of mine, Tony Hayes, who's a musician, British producer, now lives in the U.S. for a long time. He has a business partner, and that's author J.H. Sanderson. And they had, he had said to me, you know, if you ever leave that classical music place, let me know. And so when I was there after three seasons, I said, oh, okay. And within 22 hours, the author scooped me up because he had a, a literary series and I think this is this would make you guys chuckle. Um, it's about the Roadhouse Suns, uh, set in 1978, a rock and roll group <laughs> recruited into espionage against their will. No way! <laughs> so whose forensic science, you know, um, expertise wow. would, would come into play there? So when I met Mr. Sanderson, he had 19 unfinished chapters. Now the book is it's a seven series. It's a seven book series. And he's on book five. We're scrubbing it now, the manuscript. And we have gone from just his 19 chapters to 
audio books, which I direct and produce as well. And um, we submit those to the Grammy process. We're very grateful that they all end up on the Grammy ballot uh, because not everything does, you know, some right. things are, you know, right. not everything makes it onto the ballot. And so um, along with that, you know, Sanderson and Hayes and I have walked into Broadway with me producing and them saying, hey, we want to know how we can go along, but we don't want to produce. And I'm like, well, you can invest. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, but it was one of those things where um, I, you know, I'm very, when, I, when I'm dealing with Broadway productions, I, I tell everybody the facts as far as like people who come to me and say, I think I want to invest in Broadway. You know, I tell them all the facts. I tell them what the percentages are, the likelihood of return and everything like that. And I let them make their own decision. I don't. Uh, by any means, um, act. Of course, I'm enthusiastic if I'm working on a show. I'm thrilled about it. But I, I always make sure that people understand everything that they're going to be getting into, and they make the decision themselves. And then I just take care of it for them, and then you know, go on being an ambassador for each show, as you know, and you know, helping in any way that we're we're asked to help. And um, it's been very thrilling. So that's kind of how all of that. <laughs> Wow. When it went, you know, that trajectory, you know, and I'd been an actress and a musician and a singer since I was a kid, but, you know, then I just, just that script, I wrote that script. That's what made it happen. But I don't have any regrets about having served because I feel like I was very helpful in the time that I could serve. The only thing I miss about it the most, so, you know, because sometimes you're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And that's okay. I, I left with honors, so to speak. But um, the only thing I miss, I was cut like Linda Hamilton, let me tell you what, in Terminator. Mm, I was strong. <laughs> <laughs> and I was light and I could run. <laughs> now I kind of, Chris runs, but I kind of flail behind him. Like <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. I stick to walking because I, I look like I got a groove on when I'm walking, when I'm running. <laughs> I feel so sorry for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's pretty much me. And all of this time, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily put these two, these two things together. But since 93, I've been a voting member of the Grammys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, through uh, the evolution of, you know, this uh, social media and things like that, and like things like Facebook and, and all of that, we were able to kind of start to meet people more and network and then of course Grammys had their own Facebook version of Facebook so to speak where the Grammy people could meet and things like that and the and that's how I met Van Dean of Broadway Records and Van Dean the Dean of Broadway <laughs> so that so then I got back into I got back into um, entertainment so I was really thrilled to meet him and then we were invited to 54 below for the Aronson Flaherty 30th anniversary, nice fighting with you. And so um, that was my first event that Van had invited me to. And then the more time, and that was in March of, uh, and then by July he was doing, um, he was releasing A Rockin' Midsummer Night's Dream. And so um, he was having, uh, you know, a funding um, uh, spurt, so to speak, a fun fundraiser for it. And so I wanted to um, help in any way I could. And he said, well, here's at this level, you get this and this and this and this. And so I, the previous Mr. Hayes, I mentioned, you know, um, I called him up and I said, 
there's something really cool that's being released and I want to be an executive producer. Um, it would be really wonderful. And it's time for a visit. Can I come up and visit? And he said, sure, sure. So we didn't talk about anything at all. We didn't talk about it at all. And, um, and then Tony decided he wanted to go climb Black Cap Mountain up north in the Washington Valley in New Hampshire. And so I said, okay. And so <laughs> we climbed um, Black Cap Mountain and we didn't talk business at all. And then, um, and then he said um, the next morning, um, he said, stop by, you know, stop by the kitchen. And, um, and I said, okay. And so there were the funds right there. And so what happened was um, I wrote to Van and I said, I am able to be one of your executive producers. And believe me when I say there's, it's a new meaning to ain't no mountain high enough. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he did not know what I meant. And so I became executive producer and then Van announced it and I was really thrilled. Um, and that was my first thing with my first project with Broadway Records. And then um, later on, um, uh, probably in January, I went to visit Mr. Hayes again, Tony, and I gave him the money. And he said, you don't have to do that. And I said, I know, but it, you know, then it's really mine, 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 mine. <laughs> and he said, well, I respect your decision. <laughs> and he took the check. <laughs> and when I told Van that story, like another six months later, he just, we were at dinner and he just said, his eyes got a little big and he said, oh, interesting. <laughs> so I said, I literally climbed a mountain to be able to be executive producer of a Rockin' Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> and then and then I just started, you know, here and there would do things with with Van, but the first Broadway the first Broadway entrance for me was Anastasia because he I was on his producing team and um and so I I remember it was, you know, I, I called him up and I said, "Oh, so are you ever going to bring, you know, a Rock and Midsummer Night's Dream to Broadway? You know, what's going to happen with that?" I'm sitting in my car and it's like December 5th and it's cold, but I'm sitting in my car and I'm talking to Van. And then I said, um, six magic words. What else are you working on? And that's when he told me about Anastasia. And I said, you know, I think I might be able to, I might be able to help. I might be able to do something with you on this. And so then it was like, um, so I was able to get um, some people on board with it. Um, and then on New Year's Eve, I was texting him. I said, I have one more, one more people, one more people, one more, you know, entity. And he said, I'm at a party. And I'm like, I'm at a romantic dinner. I just want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he said, I said, what do you need? And he goes, just the signature sheet. You know? <laughs> and then the rest is history. And that wow. is how I met um, Christy and Christy Altamara, of course, and Derek. And um, Derek Klenna, I have to say, I'm, I'm, Christy is so wonderful, a human being. And Derek Klenna is so nice because, you know, he, he would run into us at events or, you know, there's opening night and then there's a rehearsal, excuse me, or something like that. And he was always so kind. You know, I think some people think, oh, um, I mean, I don't know what they think. I won't put anybody's in, any words into anybody's mouth. But it's always really wonderful when you're sitting over here, you know, in this chair, and then the, and, and the other folks that are involved in the show, like the cast and the creatives and stuff. 
are really glad to see you too. It's, and, and Derek has always been, and as has Christy, and always been just really lovely that way. And it makes you feel like you're, you know, you're not just in, 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 in the background, you know. Anastasia opening night was my first Broadway opening night. <laughs> and I have um, a bonbon to tell you. And that is that, you know, we had the pre-party at Sardi's. And so the invitation had said, please, you know, dress in 1920s French or Russian couture. So I did. We did. And Chris dressed up and, and I dressed up. And when we got to Sardi's for the pre-party, this lady says, I am from Russia and you look so Russian. I must take your picture. And I said, please do, you know. And, um, and then what? And then, you know, we went to the show and then the party was at the Marriott after and Derek was there and we had a lovely talk with him. And, um, and then Christy showed up later just looking like a living doll. Yes. And it was really wonderful. Um, the, the reason the Sardis thing is funny to me was in the early two aughts, <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I, w I did a documentary on the world music artist on David Burns' Luakabop label. And so Mitzi Andrews, my assistant um, director, and I, you know, everybody else had gone home. We did, we'd done a shoot. And I said, let's go to Sardis. You know, it's always been a dream of mine to go to Sardis. So we walked into Sardis and they sat us upstairs. They, they you know, and so, and I was like, oh, well, I wanted to, sit downstairs because I saw some celebrities you know? <laughs> I wanted to sit downstairs but they put us upstairs and I said to Mitzi when we left and I'm usually not a, a vixen like this but that day I was and um <laughs> when we were leaving I said I'm I'm just so glad they didn't recognize me when I came in the door <laughs> <laughs> and the hostess's face, <laughs> her eyes got really big. And Mitzi, <laughs> Mitzi said, oh, you naughty. You're so naughty. <laughs> and so I said, I know, I shouldn't have died. And then, and then, you know, fast forward 15 years later, and I'm finally <laughs> at an opening night pre-party where I'm allowed to be there. And, you know, right. it was just in that capacity. And then, um, and then we had another... Um, I think we saw the invited dress before that, and we went to Sardi's before before opening night pre-party. Um, we went to the invited dress, and we walked in, and it was just like yes. Van was Van just said Anastasia, and they're like yes, yes, sit. and they sat us right next to Jackie Mason and his table of oh friends, and um, and we were like don't stare at Jackie Mason, he's a legend. Don't stare at him, he's a legend. <laughs> And he looked over and waved at us. And we were like, oh, yes, yes hello. You know, like, trying not to be starstruck because he's, he's so famous. You know, like, like I say, I was born in 59. And so we always knew who those, those comedians and actors and performers were, you know, of, of the days of yore. It's really important to show up. There's this other actor. And she's very good and um, very compelling. She saw on social media that I had a, something going on at 54 below and she wrote to me and I said you know come on be my guest you should you should you know come on in and you know um I know young young folks starting out may not have a lot of money I don't presume that but I said you know I'll you'll you'll be my guest shouldn't come and let me tell you what that night there were casting directors and agents in that room 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and the, the, <laughs> and, um, and she has written back to me recently. Of course, my resume is getting a little thicker, you know, and, and with everything that's going on, you know, there's not a lot of, I, I kind of can't gauge how to eloquently say what my take on it is. It was just a, a missed opportunity. Right. And what was solicited by the individual. I'd yeah. really love to get together with you. Well, hey, this is what's going on. Yeah. And not far away from you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I want to talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the Broadway stuff. Um, you know, so what I have written down, Be More Chill. Yeah. Lightning Thief, Jagged Little Pill, Company. Yep. yep. Uh, Sing Street. Yeah. The other one that people do know about it had a beautiful reception in Seattle in April of last year was um, Marie. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was the other one. Yes. Tyler Peck um, yes. directed and choreographed by Susan Stroman. And it is um, about the dancer who inspired Degas. Right. Yeah, yeah. I followed that closely. I followed yeah. that very closely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron's and um, Clarity. That that writing team is one of my absolute favorites. So yeah. anytime their name pops up, I'm like, oh, yeah. yes. yes. Um, well, you know, Anastasia, Aaron's and Flaherty, and Terrence McCauley. Right. He rest in peace. Right. Oh, his smile. Oh. <laughs> well, the three of them were in a powerhouse too with Ragtime. That's yes. I. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. We've we've did, we've we've had so many. Uh, we we just <laughs> we discuss ragtime a lot on Broadway babies. We we gush a lot about rag. Ragtime's actually Derek's favorite musical as well. So uh, so you know that one is, of these days. I can't wait if they ever do a revival anywhere. I want to see him in that show. Wouldn't he's he be? So, oh gosh. Oh, <laughs> just exceptional. Yeah. But, yeah. I want to see Derek in every show, pretty much. Well, I know yeah, that would be. I, uh, but just the that. Oh, I love them so much. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. can't understand it. Oh, I do. Um, I, I love it, and the music. Well, and, and they're, yeah, and they're a huge part of my childhood. Now, a lot of people do not realize um, that Len Ayers was a quintessential part of of my elementary school education, thanks to um, Schoolhouse Rock. <gasps> yes! <laughs> Same here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. used to, um, when we were overseas as kids in Scotland, they, they, they were able to pipe in, you know, we'd go down to the commissary or the local, uh -huh. there was one thing they called the local club for the American kids, and, and they were able to pipe in, and it was always bad reception, but what the American kids were watching on TV and Schoolhouse Rock blew my mind. I'm telling you, that it yeah. was a lifesaver. It really was. What's oh. your function? Every single, <laughs> every single classic bit, every single classic piece. Like it, it, you know, it still rings I, true. You know, didn't Lynn write "We the People" That's in her. order to form a more perfect union? Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But, oh, okay, so Anastasia and the Anastasia Tour. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Lightning Thief oh. and the Lightning Thief Tour. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Be More oh, Chill. 
Uh, Jack, uh, be more chill. Be more yep. chill. And be more chill, London. Uh huh. Jagged and, little pill. And jagged little pill. pill. My first time above the title, um, which allowed me to be eligible, and I was accepted for membership in the Broadway League. So, nice. Do you know what I found? This is this is um, one of those nice little things that accidentally happens. Um, and again, it's a never never give up. I looked in my you know my iCal on my laptop. And I found in July of 2015, I had made a note um, in the middle of the month and just said, look into being a member of the Broadway League slash Tonys. That was five years ago almost. And then on March 17th of this year, St. Patrick's Day of this year, I was accepted. Um, but I had to get above the title. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know. Yeah. And so Jagged Little Pill is above Jagged the title. Jagged Little Pill. That's my first one above the title. Dean Burrell, Dean Burrell Moravis Silver. <laughs> nice, nice. And um, company? Yeah, I'm an investor in company. Oh, an investor in company. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And um, um, the, after I got out of um, Up With People in 1978, everybody was talking about Evita. Evita, Evita, Evita on Broadway and this fantastic actress, Patti LuPone. And I was incredibly poor. I just, I had no money, no assets, no anything. And so all I kept hearing about was Evita, Evita, Evita. Well, I never saw it. I never saw her um, perform. I then fast forward to the 60th Grammy Awards, which were back in New York. Was that the 2018? And the Grammys are back in New York City. And Patti Lapone sang, Don't she Cry For did, Me. did, yes. I just cried and cried and cried. And I said, I never got to see her when I was 18 years old. I never got to see her, um, you know, perform it on Broadway. But I am at the Grammys in a VIP seat. And I'm seeing her sing it now at Madison Square Garden. And I said, you just, what I would say to everybody is, you just sometimes have to wait, <laughs> but it waiting doesn't mean giving up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It really doesn't mean giving up. You will have, you will have gifts come to you in ways that you were not expecting and maybe what you didn't think you would ever prefer, but they will come and you just must never, ever give up. And we hear that hashtag never give up and all that kind of stuff, but it's so true. It's so true. If I if I had um, given up, you know, because look how old I am, right? <laughs> if I had given up even 30 years ago, even 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, I wouldn't know you. <laughs> I wouldn't know Stephanie and I wouldn't know Noel and I wouldn't be on the Broadway movies, you know, and I just, I wouldn't have had any of these dreams come true. Um, but dreams can take a long time. Sometimes they don't. They can be very immediate and many times they take time and time and time. And, you know, I'm listening to like Herbie Hancock and Spike Lee and David Sedaris, you know, and these master classes that they're giving, which is mm -hmm. really fantastic. And they say every time, do the work. Yeah. Success is not overnight. You yeah. know, the more things become in our culture, you know, instant gratification we need information, we get it instantly. You know, we expect that 
these other things for which we have to work hard and long are um, going to be instantaneous as well. And I'm not saying when I was when I was a youth that I wasn't impetuous and impatient as well. But I I would also say that nothing has ever plopped into my lap like, well, look at you, you just got that just fell right in your lap. Never. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been persistent, determined, and the biggest word, patient. Mm-hmm. Because the, the the deities and the muses and the gods gave me the the message early on, patience is going to be required with you. You know, you're not, it's just the way it is. The Pat, Patty Lapone was the impetus there, you know, for me to, for me to, you know, I, I don't, yeah. I, I'm not, um, uh, I don't invest a lot, but there are a couple that I have invested in and that was one of them. Yeah, and then um, as far as Sing Street goes, I'm um, one of Arlene Scanlon's producing partners on that. And as far as uh, I'm a producer above the title on Maria as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sing Street is. I just want to touch on that briefly, simply because I'm a really big fan of that film. Um, I lived in Dublin, Ireland for four years in the early '90s, yeah. and um, I used to play a lot of shows with a band called The Frames. And The Frames were fronted by Glenn Hansard, who, uh, you know, composed once. And um, oh. and uh, The Swell Season is that won an Oscar. But Glenn's bass player in The Frames was John Carney. Oh. So I used to play a lot of gigs with those guys like little like small small from small bit you know mostly small gigs but like before their band kind of took off blew up they got a record deal on interscope and you know but um so john i know john is like a bass player and um i remember when like when once came out when the movie came out and i was like i was like blinking watching it when i realized that like Glenn was in it, but and now I know the story of why Glenn was in it because Killian Murphy had a had a um, scheduling conflict, and John needed to shoot it because it was so indie. And since Glenn had written the music, he asked him if he would play Guy in the film. But you know, so to watch like you know once and then um, and then begin again, which John also wrote and directed, and then Sing Street. When Sing Street came out, it's like. It's like I knew those kids when I lived there. I knew yeah. that I knew that side of Dublin, um, and and um, so I I remember watching that movie. It didn't come out here in the movie theater, but it was released on demand. I think the same time it was released in the movie theater, mm-hmm. and I think that the first week it was released, I watched it three times because I was like. I know these people, you know, even though they were younger than I was when I lived there, I knew these, I knew these people and I knew this life of like wanting to have the band and wanting, I knew this, this was what, this was my experience living in Dublin. When I heard that it was being made into a musical, which of course it would be because it's perfect for that. Like I, I may have cried, uh, tears of joy. Um, and I desperately wanted to be able to go when it was like, before it transferred to Broadway and I didn't get the chance to, and I was just like hoping against hope that it would get a transfer, you know, 
everything that I have seen, including the little thing that they did two weeks ago, their quarantine, uh, they did like a little yeah. video thing. Steph, I got to send you the link because it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Um, I can't wait to see that show. Like I, I was heartbroken for all of those people in that cast, you know, like, I mean, all making their Broadway debuts, every single one of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I'm super passionate about Sing Street and I just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited that like, I know you when you were a producer of Sing Street, the show that I'm like gaga over. It's, it's, it's very exciting. And I, I just can't wait for Broadway to safely open um, oh, primarily, yes. primarily so I can go see Sing Street. It's, well, you know, um, company, company didn't have its opening night yeah. in Sing Street. Mm -hmm. I, I was I was seeing it on March twelfth, eight p.m. I was seeing Moulin Rouge at two p.m. on March twelfth. We were and seeing, I was seeing it March March thirteenth, six. So of the us day the day after, I investors were flying in from Texas, and right, they were in the air an hour before they landed, and they heard, "Oh, Broadway shut down." You know, we were we but we were just really, it was like that immediate March twelfth, yeah. Mayor De Blasio, yeah. you know, just Should've shut down Broadway. Well, I mean, I had been I had been texting with um, I had been texting with Kyle because I was at, I was at Moulin Rouge and at 1:45 they came out and told us that we had to leave, and um, so I texted Kyle and I was like, "Are you guys still going on tonight?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. The only show that's shutting down is Moulin Rouge, and it's because they had three company members that had tested positive." And he's like, "No, no, we're at, they're the only show that's shutting down. We're still on." And that was at like two o'clock, and maybe an hour later he texted me to say we're not everything is we're not everything yeah. shutting down we're not going on and so that's when we went to schmackeries and i ate three cookies um i understand everyone's position on waiting to make sure it's really really safe yeah absolutely I mean, it's got to be done absolutely be sending you both a very big hug and i feel really lucky that all three of us are together right now me too and and i don't think there's, I think it's okay to nourish our souls with fellowship via Zoom right now and to talk about what we want to talk about that makes us happy it, because right. we, we three know we are vigilant in keeping an eye on what's going on and we're going to do what we're going to do to help the situation as much as can be. Yeah. What's your favorite musical? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> My favorite musical. You know what? My favorite. No, no. This is, I'm just going to say this has nothing to do with anything I've lived or am living. Of course. At the time. But the musical that made me realize there were two. There were two. The first musical I ever saw was Anything Goes. Oh, wow. And then there's the musical Carnival. And that's that's got some deep elements in it, like uh, it's kind of scary elements in it. And I remember um, when someone said to me, "So those are the two. Those are the two that made me fall in love with musicals because it made me realize there's the the possibility of everything. You know that nothing is impossible. What I just had no idea." That that, that that existed when I first saw the first musical I saw was Anything Goes and 
carnival and i also loved um babes in arms mm-hmm. you know so these are some some oldies oldies but goodies yeah <laughs> those are the, no, I, I don't know if i can tack the word favorite on them per se but those are the ones that in my youth i saw first and that made me realize there's so much more possible in the world. You know, just the feeling that I got watching them. So let me get this straight. These, they're talking and then they're singing and then they're dancing and it's okay. <laughs> and it's okay. Right. right. It's totally acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> the best art form ever. There I yeah. said it. There yeah. I said it. <laughs> Because it's true. Do I dare ask you the same, you two ladies? What are your favorite musicals? We have the same favorite musical. We yeah, we do. Which, favorite, when, we, when we discovered that we had the same favorite musical, it was before we started doing the podcast. We did know it before the podcast. Our favorite musical is Sweeney Todd. Oh, yeah. That was, that was the one that really, that really made me realize, ooh, this stuff can take a trip. Right. You could do, like you said, you could do anything. Put buckets of blood on the stage. My favorite musical is Hair. So I have had a very strong, I have a very strong relationship with, with Hair. I strived for Broadway my entire life, and that's how the deities let me get there, and with a different part of the brain than I thought, but that is A-okay with me. So, um, so Stephanie, if it's okay to ask, um, can you tell me, like, and, and you too, Noel, I want to know, what are your everydays like so far amidst this? How are you navigating it yourselves? This podcast that we have is probably the last bastion of sanity I have, have right now <laughs> yeah. in regards to that, because I can still yeah. be a part of the, the community, but I don't have to um, memorize a song <laughs> yes. or yes. put myself on self-tape. I can still be a part of that and feel the connection and feel the positivity and feel the good vibes. So for now, that's what I'm doing. I was um, on the, on a zoom with a casting director um, last week. And, you know, we were talking about what, what, what do casting directors really, really, really want? Um, and one of the things that I was reminding another gal who, who called me up and said, will you just do a consultant for me? I have a, I have a video audition and everything. And I said, the one thing you have to remember about casting directors is they are hired to be um, working and, you know, on the lookout. I mean, there's many things that they do, but they're on the lookout on behalf of the director. Mm-hmm. So right. they, a good casting director finds a good match for that director. And so that's what their stake is. And so you want to make sure you're that match. But so the casting director said something that I thought was very liberating just to know, just to have it in my head. And that was more than anything, they want to see you. They just want to know who you are. Um, They want to know the human being because when you're in a show, um, when you're in a show, you know, everybody is in that enclave together for a long time. You know, you're in rehearsals and then you're in tech week and then, you know, and then it goes on, you're on for the run of the show. You'll be paving relationships. And the big thing is also be nice Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not, they can feel it. And then the other big thing is, um, the other big thing is, don't 
audition off of an iPad. <laughs> right. <laughs> because if it goes dark and you stop your audition and start scrolling, they say if you want to carry paper sides, you know, your sides as paper in with you, it's always wonderful, of course, if you can memorize. But, you know, many don't require that per se. But they really want to see you. So, Stephanie, don't be afraid. Let it rip. <laughs> yeah. The things that had happened recently was um, a gal had written to me. She's very lovely voice, very, very lovely gal, real nice human being. She wrote to me and said um, she wanted to sing a song that's from a current Broadway show. And it's the song's already been iconic for a long time. And it's now having a new a new re emergence as an iconic song because of the performer who's singing it and what the audience is doing when they do. And like, like standing ovations that last a minute and a half and you have to, you know, wait, you know, um, you have to stay in character and wait. And she wanted to sing like that song. And I had suggested, look, if you want to sing something from this musical, sing this one instead. And she did not. And, um, and she, got the, didn't get the feedback, I don't think, that she wanted, you know, mm -hmm. she, um, and I, and I just, I just, um, then she sent me the video, I couldn't see the video when I tried to follow along on the feedback channel that they were getting, and she sent it to me, and I just was, I really just had wished that she, you know, she asked for my advice, and I wished she had taken it, I would say, you know, I would steer you from that song to this song, well, you know, I used to sing this in the 90s, so that's what I'm going to do. So the other thing that I would say, and I don't mean that in a crappy way or an icky way, but the other thing that I would say is I learned a long time ago, not even in show business, that if you take the time to ask someone for their advice, that you, that you take their advice. It's a, you know, you ask for someone's advice and it's good sound advice and you don't honor them by taking it. And it's not an ego thing. It's a matter of manners is, is really what it is. So um, what coming out of that experience for her and watching some disappointment there, perhaps, and the feedback that she received, that coupled with, you know, my, my talk last week with a casting director, Stephanie, I would say, choose the song you love and you want and um, that you feel speaks for you and just have a ball with it and let them see you having a ball with it. Because one of the things is that when you walk into, when you walk into an audition, and I love knowing this, I really do. I love really hearing it, and I love seeing it. When someone walks in with the audition, uh, for an audition, we, you know, you know that it's going to be a long journey together. So you really want to feel who that person is. You know, you get a sense of how they, they will evolve. You know, in the actual situation when the stress of an audition is off and also um we we all know as producers and casting directors and stuff that auditions are very specific for that moment in time there do you have acting talent do you have singing talent and who are you as a human being and we don't expect you to walk in so perfectly polished that the director will never need to direct you you know so i don't want you to be shy <laughs> That's excellent advice. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. It took me a long time to to kind of learn what uh, you know. There are always songs that you want to sing, but there are a lot, a lots of songs that you know don't necessarily suit you or your voice or whatever. And you know, when I when I finally understood about 
changing the key or changing the <laughs> dynamic or changing yeah. the tone or changing the whatever. And I realized I can sing whatever I want to sing because I can make it the Noel version of whatever this song is. I'm not going to try and copy somebody else and I'm not going to, and part of like my live streams that I do on Saturdays, it's like I'm doing 12 or 13 songs that I have never necessarily sung before every single week. And oh, so, so for me, my, my quarantine has been, um, so I, I'm a performer first. I always will say I'm a performer first. I'm a producer. My two shows that I was supposed to do in August and November are on hold now. I also teach. I work at two, the two theater schools where I'm the drama teacher and I teach singing privately from home doing the podcast, doing the live streams, which the live streams to me are exhilarating and so fun. Like for some reason, the, the Facebook algorithm, algorithm is sending me like 25,000 people to watch my streams. I have no idea how. I have no That's idea, but it's just Run with like, it. <laughs> I, I'm doing it a hundred percent. Well, maybe like 80% for me and like 20% for people who like to see me, but it's mostly for me so that I can keep creating, you know, I'm doing more um, creative things that are more about me as a performer right now, which I hadn't been doing for a really long time because I was doing so much teaching and so much producing and so much quarantine for me hasn't been the worst thing yes there's for sure the anxiety the podcast is like a big I, like I love doing this I love doing it with Stephanie and when we release it and and I see like you know our numbers and I get the feedback of people who are listening it's 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 awesome you know I I I love that but uh I, I need to do some cleaning. That's something I haven't been doing. I haven't been doing too much self-care. And so I'm very tired. Um, and I think Stephanie has us beat on that because you got a really good start, right? Yeah. You got a really good head start. I Stephanie. did. I mean, I, I've been working on this for a while. I mean, Noelle and I have talked about it. We we both know there are, there are things that we, like inner work and just taking a break, you know, just yeah. taking a break. Yeah, that's that's all, it, and and not have to feel um, guilty or stressed or anything about it. It's just you know I'm taking care of me today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, have some me time. About the anxiety, um, I think my, I got little pockets of it earlier, St Stephanie. About when you were talking about anxiety too, and Noelle, you too. Um, that I just I hit a teeny bit of that this week, and then I just. I just was thinking, you know, there's all the kids who had to graduate, you know, in Zoom parties online. Right. There's there's other students. If you're looking at, you know, just the college students, um, um, and there's track and field students who aren't going to have their Olympic trials and things like that. And myriad. This is just just a little thing that popped into my head. There were myriad situations where people are having to do just wonderful life events, uh, engagements, birthdays, retirements and such on online. Mm -hmm. And I, there's yeah. so many, there's so many people that need so much. And so I said, you know, I'm going to just say to myself, I'm not going to begrudge anybody else how they feel, but I'm just going to say to myself that um, I don't, I can't let myself go down a rabbit hole because that's right. something kind of easy for me to do. So 
you know, I just said, I'm just going to buck it up as much as I can. And I kind of was able to make it dissipate after a couple of hours. I just, yeah, I just I mean, started doing you, Yeah, I would start doing, I, I kind of swing to something, finding something positive in the moment, whatever that, yes. that is. Uh, yeah, how I alleviate it myself is, is to come back to the present instead of, you know, going down those rabbit holes and freaking yourself out is just to kind of bring everything back into that particular moment. Find something in the moment yes. that is positive and that you can yes. spring off of from there. Luckily, yes. that's pretty good. I mean, I can do that from there. Um, yes. And that's very helpful for me. That's the only way I know of um, for, for me to help myself move forward without yeah. freaking out. Yeah, and I didn't happen often. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anxiety written. I'm proud. I sound like a neurotic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not anxiety written often. It's just certain things, and I know what triggers me. So that's why I also know. Okay, let's not go down there. Let's right. Try that road. That road looks much better. Or I'll think yes. to myself, <laughs> you know, oh, that road looks good. I like that road. And then in my head, I'm like, okay, this is really good. Remember that time you talked to Mark Shaman? <gasps> I talked to Mark Shaman. Right? I mean, like. the kind of thing. I mean, I never in a million years would have thought that. You know, like, I'm yeah. in my house on a Zoom talking to Mark Shaman now, or Adam Pascal, or you, or, I mean, it's just. I'm honored. <laughs> Well, listen, I've been looking at your resume, madam, and oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. So to me, this is exciting. This is the kind of stuff, that's why I was saying earlier, this is why I get such a kick out of it, because I'm such, well, Noah and I are like super fangirly anyway. We are. <laughs> we so are. We are. I Honestly, we are part of the community, but we also just, I, I just live for a a, a musical. I live for a musical. I know I, I do. For sitting in a theater. I live for the lights going out in that moment, right when the, it's yep. dark, and then that music swells and it kicks in. Ah! <laughs> oh my God. Ah. I with, live for that. With, with Anastasia, all I have to hear, Aaron's and Flaherty and Terrence McNally, all I have to hear is um, that. Dun, 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 dun. The piano. Oh, my God. I just got goosebumps. Right? Me too. And I just, I can't help it. I just start to cry. And it's every single time. I could literally sit in the living room and play the cast recording over and over and over. Yeah. And every single time it would get me. And, um, and I have a lot of personal reasons why I feel very lucky that I was on Van Dean's producing team for Anastasia and that Anastasia was my very first Broadway show, you know? Um, wow! I just oh, that's a great way to introduce yourself into the world of Broadway, though. On on a, as a, <laughs> I mean, what a great step up! Our guest today has been Mia Moravis. Thank you so much for joining us, Mia. It's been wonderful. I just feel so lucky to be here. Thank you so much, Stephanie and Noel. I've had such a wonderful time with you. Oh, Thank so have we. Me. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm Noel Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.